going to make an assumption and you tell me if I'm wrong. You feel like there aren't enough hours in the day. I know it's true. There are always too many things to do and too little time. If you're like me, your boss will walk down the hallway and shout, go home, Beltran. That's why I am telling everyone about the 40-hour workweek with Angela Watson. Angela was a guest on this very podcast back in season one, and she shared her ideas for managing your time, teaching, and stuff to help you make the most of your time at work while making time for home too. But that was just the beginning. In her membership, The 40-Hour Workweek, Angela helps you focus on what matters to have a purposeful and productive workday and then go home. Angela helps teachers find, on average, 11 hours a week that they can take back for themselves while still being a great teacher. The best part is that Angela has a new membership, especially for coaches. She partnered with my friend and coffee buddy, Nicole Turner of Simply Coaching, to create the 40-hour work week for coaches. Check it out at buzzingwithmissb.com slash 40-hour week and get your time back. You're listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast, where we believe that every teacher deserves a coach, and every coach does too. I'm Chrissy Beltran, an instructional coach, resource creator, and coffee enthusiast. And I'm your host. Stay tuned for practical tips and honest coaching talk that will help you coach with confidence. Welcome to episode 113, Developing PD for Your Campus with Christy Rice. This is our last episode in our series about professional learning and professional development. So far, we've talked about different PD opportunities, how to plan PD, what pineapple PD can look like at your school, and how to use the inquiry model to support learning for teachers and for yourself. If you have missed any of these episodes, 109 through 112, I really recommend that you go back and dig in. You'll get so many ideas for implementing PD and supporting learning at your school. Today, I'm talking with a coach in the field. We're going to do a little problem solving around the topic of the PD and how to best support their teachers through their own professional development. So let's welcome Christy to the podcast. Welcome, Christy. Hi. Hello. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for being here. <clears throat> I'm excited to be here. Oh, great. Um, would you like to share a little bit about yourself and your coaching work to get us started? Sure, sure. I, um, my name is Christy Rice. <laughs> um, this is actually my first year um, coaching. I've been a teacher for seven years um, in elementary school in fourth and fifth grade um, in a small town. Um, and have previously before that I actually homeschooled my own children um, for several years before they went to public school. So um, that's a little bit of my educational background. Um, I have a degree in curriculum and instruction and I love, love helping teachers as much as I did kids with um, kind of guiding them through curriculum. So um, yeah, so I am now teaching or instructing slash interventionist now, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, there's been a lot of changes throughout this year and I'm kind of creating the program from scratch mm-hmm. because we've never had a, um, an instructional coach before. So okay. yeah, so thankfully I stumbled across you um, over the summer. Oh, great. I'm really glad that you did. <laughs> Creating a program is is a lot, but it's such a great opportunity to build it the way that you want. So that's really good, at least. What kinds yeah. of work do you do to support teachers? What does that look like? Um, well, I created a coaching menu at the beginning of the year. Um, and so I do lots and lots of things. Um, 
professional developments. I was doing those twice a month. Um, I have done some in-class uh, work where I model um, and then do some, I've done some co-teaching. Um, I've done some observations. I've worked with um, students, um, to, like intervention groups for teachers. Um, what else have I done? I'm trying to think now. I know I do a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember what else is on your coaching menu? Yeah, so helping them plan has been a big one this year mm -hmm. um, and really embracing um, gradual release, the gradual release okay. model, mm -hmm. um, instead of just the teacher up in front of the students for the majority of the time. Another big push that we've had this year is um, guided reading. Mm -hmm. or, or some kind of small group instruction, okay. especially, yeah, with reading and with writing as well. So, <clears throat> so I've done those. Um, and I do a, a newsletter. I try to do a, a monthly newsletter and then I started, uh, the potty PDs. Okay. Um, yeah. so they're like, we cannot get away from you. You're, you're everywhere. <laughs> Can't even go to the restroom. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. So what is your main challenge right now as it relates to professional development? Where, where to start, which professional developments I need to focus on? Like what are, what are the most important things? So um, the beginning of the year, we, I did a lot of, you know, what balanced literacy is, what instruction should look like. And, and like I said, the gradual release model in small groups. Um, and then planning, helping them actually plan and implement those things. So mm -hmm. the struggle now for PD is what my next step should be. So I see there are some instructional issues that we have, um, making sure that teachers understand all of the portions of not just comprehension, but you know, really teaching kids how to read, you know, breaking down their reading. So yeah, just where to start, I guess. Okay. And have you tried any methods to get, um, what have you tried to figure out where to start? Like, have you tried doing a survey or anything along uh -huh. those lines? I have, I have done a survey, but I guess I haven't, I've just broken it up more into subject matter. So that is probably okay. something I can do. One thing that we did whenever we were rolling out our reading block is I gave teachers like a, a the schedule, you know, not the schedule, but the components. And then they had to rate their comfort level of each on each one. And so okay. like how comfortable with you are, you know, or how comfortable are you on um, maybe uh, uh, like independent reading? How comfortable with you are you on maybe um, uh, guided reading, like you mentioned, or on small group intervention? How, do, how familiar are you with decoding strategies? That's one that upper elementary teachers often don't have the background that they need on. Um, yes. And then primary teachers often don't have the background on comprehension that they need. So yes. <laughs> that, that was my experience anyway. So, you know, asking them where they are feeling lacking, where do they feel like they're not equipped during their day? And sometimes it's a language issue. They don't know. One of the, the struggles that we encountered was teachers would say, I don't know what decoding is versus, you know, what's decoding versus accuracy or word study or all these things. What does that mean? So we had okay. to really get into the nitty gritty and talk about that, about the defining of the different terms, because sometimes people are saying, oh, I don't do that. And then they'd learn a little more and go, oh, well, I kind of do that, but it looks different in my room. So maybe I can add this to it. So that common language yes. sometimes is a challenge. That I think that would be really helpful to pinpoint was, exactly where each teacher mm -hmm. needs. 
Yes, yeah. and that, that would probably address the problem that I have sometimes too of, um, I because I previously worked at the school and you know before I was coaching, I have a relationship with these teachers. I'm not having any issue with teachers coming to me for help. I have the opposite where it's everyone okay. and trying to figure out mm-hmm. how to help so many people, you know, I, I did one of your podcasts, just, you know, talking about just saying no, So sometimes I have to say no. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not a fun word, but it is a word that we have to get good at sometimes. Um, when, and so like, that's a really good point. If you think about it, like in your classroom, if you have, a, you've taught a lesson on, I don't know, main idea, and then you give the kids their independent practice, and then they all come up to you and they all have questions on what they're supposed to do. What would you do as a teacher? I would, I would probably pull a group of kids that have this common question is what I would do. You might even, depending on how many kids it was, you might even have to reteach the whole class in a different way. That's true. Yes. Um, But if it's, yeah, if it's a group of kids, you can do a small group. So you could differentiate by PLCs Uh or grade levels by teams. If it's enough of teachers to where you're like, okay, this is a tier one issue. (laughs) We need to go back and clarify these things. And so it might be helpful as teachers are asking you for help on so many things to keep a little record of what they ask you. And that okay. way, whenever you go back through planning your PD, you go, okay, this is something that, you know, 70% and up of my teachers need to know. So I'm going to direct a PD around it. They are all asking questions about how do I model during a read aloud? I'm going to do that. I'm going to model for them. I'm going to have them practice. They're going to plan a lesson. They're going to script out some questions. They're going to choose a text. We're going to do the whole thing together. And sometimes that is a really helpful way to figure out where to focus and exactly where there might be more trends in what the teachers are struggling with than it, than it looks like at first glance, if that makes sense. Yes, I think so. It, that's reminded me of doing reading conferences with students mm-hmm. or, you know, or guided reading groups and, and writing down those notes and regrouping and yeah. Yes, yes, that's very true. It is a lot of connections to, if you think about your PD as your tier one, instruction Mm -hmm. in your classroom as your, you know, everybody gets this. That's a good way to kind of think about the process that you used to use to identify what your kids needed. It's probably really similar to identifying what your teachers need because data is another place to look. I don't know. Do you have any kind of data right now that's helpful to you? Yes. We have our benchmark testing that we do the NWEA that is, that is helpful. I mean, we have state testing. Yeah. That's not as helpful. (laughs) (laughs) It's like at the end of the year, it's like a summative thing. And then you're like, okay. Yes. And then we have some grade levels that are really good about pre post testing, mm-hmm. um, different items, different comprehension skills and, and things. And then I can get data that way too and find okay. out. For example, I had one that really struggled with, um, well, I even helped her plan for construct, doing con- uh, not constructed response, um, context clues. Mm-hmm for third grade. And so we planned it out and she implemented it, uh, the lessons over three weeks and then her post-test, they really did improve, improve oh, it all. So, um, yeah. So then I knew there was some kind of breakdown and, you know, what her understanding of context clues or how to bring those lessons across to the students. And so that was really helpful, you know, and, good- and probably there are other teachers that exactly that need that. So. Yes. That's a very good point because if, Um, teachers sometimes can be very good at teaching things in authentic text, but then they do not bridge it to a paper pencil situation. 
Yes. That's a big challenge yes. for many teachers. So that if you taught them, if you, you created a unit together and then they took that and they were able to show on a paper pencil assessment that they could do it. There was a bridge that you built there somehow. Yes. Yes. Okay. That kind of brings me to, you were talking about authentic text. <laughs> One of the things that we're trying to break or I'm trying to get teachers to break away from a little bit is the basil. We can't completely break away from it, but yeah. Um, explaining that, you know, if my, if my whole class is struggling with this, I'm not just going on to the next story because it's the right. next week, mm -hmm. you know, or maybe I need to pull in something else. You know, it took you three days to read that story. So you were really learning the comprehension skill. You were mm -hmm. just reading the story, you know? Yeah. Just um, kind of so, getting through it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so my struggle with that one has been, um, them saying, well, I'm not smarter than the curriculum writer. Oh, I, I can't. saw this in your email. I remember hearing yes. that, reading that line and thinking, oh, that's a new one. Never heard no, that. And, well, and I had never even thought that before. And I heard it three times, which made me also think, oh, well, teachers are talking. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this yes. is you know, something that now is like, well, I'm not smarter than the curriculum writer. I can't. Well, you might be. They're not anything special. They're just. That's what I said. I said, you all have degrees. You've been in the classroom. Like, mm -hmm. Some of them you haven't can, even, I mean, come on, are, are there, I mean, that's true. Some of them are just researchers. Yes. Right. So that's, I mean, that alone in itself might not be accurate, but the, what the, what they're trying to justify is saying, well, how am I going to come up with anything better than what's in the book? Yes. Right. Oh yeah. And right. the way that they might do that is that they actually have students in their classroom. So like mm -hmm. even I create resources for teachers on TPT, but anything yeah. I create is for a sample class. It is not for a real class. So yeah. whenever teachers take that and turn it over into their real class, I would hope that they look at their kids, their real children and say, mm -hmm. ah, but this is what they need and they need this. And instead of doing this introduction, I'm going to change it up for this. Mm -hmm. So what is the, what is scary to them about, about moving away from the book? I or think they're afraid. I, they're amazing. And I think that they are just afraid that they will mess up, that they will, okay. they will pick something that's not difficult enough, or it is not um, as good as what they would have done inside of the basil. Okay. Um, and so we've looked a lot at what the standard is, what it says, what kids are expected, how many words they're expected to read and, you know, at each grade level. And as long as we're picking something inside of that, you know, it does not have to be a story that takes three days. It could be something that they're more interested in. It could be something that's more focused on um, the skill that we're trying, yes. you know, to teach. So right. that's- yeah, because sometimes in, in like a basil, they'll have, this is a text that we're gonna use, it's nonfiction, and we're gonna work on compare and contrast. And there is one example of that yes. whole text. You're like, okay, yeah. this is not chosen for this reason. This was chosen. And then they said, oh, we found an example. We can throw this in here. Yes. And we've looked at that with the assessment. So I'm like, okay, let's look at the mm -hmm. assessment. Let's see what they're assessing. And then sometimes the assessment's not good either with the basil because it has yeah. one question about that skill that you taught the whole week. So maybe you can use that story, mm -hmm. but you need to come up with a different assessment. That could be true. That, that's very, because sometimes you need to look at, okay, well, what is the assessment that we're preparing them for and work backwards from that, which would be your state assessment, probably. What yes. state are you in? Indiana. 
Okay. So I know nothing about the Indiana state assessment, but, <laughs> but I'm going to guess it's a big, scary test and it has a bunch of skills on it. Okay. And yes. you probably have a document that shows you how frequently certain things are tested. Yes. Okay. Yes, so we do. from there you can say, well, this tells us what we really need to focus on. The basal is not going to necessarily be aligned to what the state says they want you to do. Yes. And so that, that, I guess that's another thing that we're, we're I'm working on right now, which is um, inside of my wheelhouse with my degree, and I guess it, it is instructional coaching too, where we're working on um, curriculum mapping, mm -hmm. scope, uh, scope and sequence things. So we'll be digging into that more this spring. And I think over the summer, there'll be a team of us working on that. And I'm hoping that that will help, you know, like we can still use the basal and pool stories, but maybe make different assessments or maybe you know, use different stories altogether. Maybe that would make them feel more comfortable rather Probably. than just going in and saying, hey, let's not use, let's not use this. Let's use right. something. Else. You don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. If that's what they've been using, you don't want to totally dump it, but you can start to enhance. And over time, they will, they will become reflective and say, ah, this I know is really good for that. This is maybe not so much. So I'm going to choose something else. One thing that we, that might be helpful that I've done with teachers is once you have identified the big things that you want to focus on in each grade level per the state, because the state is telling you what they want you to focus on based on how frequently they test those things. Yes. Yes. And I hate the test and I think it's awful, but that's just the reality, right? So it, I have to throw that. It, in yeah. <laughs> um, but if once you have that, you say, okay, these are the most highly, you know, frequently tested items. You can build your own document or maybe with your team that you're working with, everybody can take a little piece and you can have your standard down the side sample questions from the state of what that looks like next to it. That way teachers have that in their brain just for the language of, of, of the academia, the language of testing, because if they're not saying things like, well, based on what we read, what would the character most likely do next? That language can transfer to a test. But if they're not saying things in that way, if they're saying, well, what's he probably going to do? Then kids are not going to look at the text and go, oh, test and go, oh, I know how to do this. So there's that bridge again, you know? So pulling out those testing um, stems, question stems or types, and having them in a document next to the standard is really helpful. If that, that might already exist for your state test, you might just be able to find it somewhere. It does. It does exist. And yeah, I was actually, I'm on spring break this week. So I was working on some of that and I have pulled um, and made a Google sheet with some of that information in the academic vocabulary. But I think that's a great idea of pulling some of those question stems and having it right there alongside the standard. It was really helpful to us, uh, yeah. really, because the language that teachers were using was common language and then testing language looks very different. And that was very foreign to kids. So even if they could make a logical prediction, like the example I just gave based on the character's previous actions, they couldn't connect it to a testing situation. Um, and then yes. from there, you can look through your basal and say, okay, now we know the standard, what it's asking us to find and what it might look like when it's tested. Let's look at each text in the basal. Everybody, you're going to take the first five texts, you're going to take the next five or split it up in your grade level. And let's see which ones are good models and give kids opportunities to do these things. Oh, I love that. Okay. It was helpful Let's to start that. having teachers be reflective instead of just turning the page, like you said, to the next, okay, we're on unit five now. Let's see what, yes. what we're going to read about, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Surprise. Yeah. <laughs> that way they can say, okay, we're on a unit about character development. And in this unit, I know in unit six, there's a text about too many tamales. That's a great one for showing character motivation or problem solving. And then in unit two, there's a text about rainbow fish. And it's about how he, he you know, learned something. He learns a lesson. 
And so you can match it to your standards that yes. way. And yes. there, sh there should be some alignment in your textbook that shows the state standards alignment. There is. Okay. There, well, it's common core standard, but that is basically Indiana standards are the same, just okay. slightly different. So, right. Yeah. So yeah. you can kind of use that as a guide and then evaluate, is this really a good example? So that might be a PD you walk people through. Maybe by grade level would probably be best. If you yeah. And you have your team, third grade, everybody takes a look at their text and says, okay, this says it's for teaching this. Let's see if this is a good model of this. How many yeah. opportunities do we actually have? Everybody gets a packet of stickies. Everybody reads the text and marks every opportunity they have in that text to practice that strategy or that skill. Mm -hmm. And that way they can, they can see, oh, you know what? It's really not a great, if I could choose, I would choose something that has more opportunities. I see. Yes. I like that. A mentor text list might help with that too. Um, just pulling out a mentor text list by grade level. There's a million versions online. I have one, but it's not by grade level. It's just like yes. upper elementary. Um, but pulling that out and saying, this is another set of texts that we can use. Oh, and this is an idea. I don't know if this will be helpful. I did one year with my grade levels. We chose a mentor author for each grade level and created a mentor text basket. For yes, I read that. Okay. <laughs> I read that you did that. So I have not quite done that. But I do have um, my room, I have a nice full-size classroom. So mm -hmm. I have the guided reading books in there, but I did go ahead and split up some books by skill um, okay. for reading and for writing. So they can come and pull books like that. It has not been utilized. Okay, um, so when you plan together, pull the basket out. Pull the basket, okay. Yeah, when they plan together, the, the easiest way that I found to do it is I'd say, okay, this week we're planning for you know visualization. Look at our basket of visualization. Look, this basket is full of books that paint sensory images. Let's just start with a read aloud. So the text, if they're using the basil, that's more of a shared reading, right? Because mm -hmm. everybody yes. has access. Let's yes. just start with a read aloud. Every, there's enough copies here for everybody to have one. We can pull one out and say, let's choose one. And maybe that's an easier place to start developing a little more risk-taking behavior in teachers is a yes. read aloud. It's less stressful. Yes. They view shared reading as their main instructional component is what I'm guessing, which yes. I often did myself, especially yeah. in elementary. I totally get that. Yes. Um, so, so that might be a place to say, let's try some risks, risky planning. Let's do something really cool um, and take this text out and mark some places where we can ask kids to practice a strategy. Let's write the language that we can use to introduce the strategy and like mark up on stickies and stick them all on the books. Okay. Yes. I will. I, I'm going to try that. I did do one PD where I pulled out books that were just random <laughs> and I had them do a book pass and read yeah. and jot notes and we did, we did try that. Um, uh, it got a little bit hijacked by one teacher who really just needed some time to have conversation. And so it didn't really go as planned. Mm -hmm. So I have to rethink that one a little bit, how, how to reel that in next time, <laughs> but always, there's always a challenge there. Like you said, some people just need to, they, they get really excited and distracted and they start going off on a tangent. Yeah. And yeah. the trouble is managing that respectfully while respecting the other people's time. Yes. Yes. <clears throat> That's always tricky. <laughs> yes. So, um, those are really great a, ideas. Oh, good. I really hope that's helpful. It is. Um, it can kind of help you address it like whole school levels, your tier one, what does everybody need to know? And then your tier two is like PLC. You're going to differentiate it for different yes. teachers and groups. And then you have your one-on-one, -on -one, which is coaching. Your, or your tier yes. three, which is like your one-on-one -on -one coaching. 
So yeah. that might be a way to kind of like thread that through. Okay, we talked about the components, you know, in tier one, we saw model lessons for read aloud. That's what we focused on. And then in tier two, <clears throat> during our PLCs and grade levels, we're gonna plan together for a read aloud lesson using what we talked about in our, our whole group instruction, which was your PD. Yeah, perfect. I'm going to try that. I would love to hear how that goes if you try. Yes, it. I will let you know how that goes. And I think this is so helpful because I'm at a small school. I'm all by myself. So there's not, you know, my and my administrators super supportive and helpful, but this, like I said, it's new. So getting to bounce these ideas around are yeah, is, I'm, is very helpful. Most administrators like the idea of thinking tier one, two, and three because that makes sense to them. <laughs> you know, that's the way they think of their schools and yes. not in a derogatory way, in a way of who do, who needs the help, where do I put the resources? Um, so that way they can they can see, okay, yeah, we can think around this idea of what's tier one, how are we going to differentiate it for tier two? And planning yes. is a good way to do that. Yeah. Because it uses their grade level stuff. Yes. Yeah, so you were mentioning also PLCs, and that's something that I think um, we don't have. We don't have that too often. We were doing some after schools um, a couple times a month, like I said, and then I was I was going in and I guess it is called a PLC, um, but so many teachers have such a negative thought about a PLC that I didn't call it one. <laughs> But, but I've been meeting with grade levels to work on planning. So I guess that is, but we don't have regularly scheduled. I'm going to meet with this grade level. I'm going to meet with this grade level. And so I'm wondering if that's something that I should talk to my administrator about is having, I don't know, weekly, bi-weekly meetings. I don't. I can share with you how we did it. And then you can mm -hmm. see if that's something that, you know, if there are different ways or whatever you'd like to try to ask your yeah. about. And you can brainstorm with them. I'm sure they'll have lots of ideas too. What we used to do is it was bi-weekly. And so one week we had a math coach as well, though, a math and science coach. So I was a literacy coach. I had a math and science counterpart. And so what we did is as far as our role, we, we had 90 minutes with each grade level every other week, because I would take K24 one week and the counterpart would take 135 and then we flip. Okay. So what we did is they had their 45 minute regular PE time mm -hmm. that we could use. And then mm -hmm. we use support staff to cover the other 45 minutes. So there was a rotating, like a schedule where one, you know, one week, um, the counselor would take all the section ones from that grade level. So third grade, she'd take three, one, but you know, fifth mm -hmm. grade, she'd take five, one. Um, she would do a guidance lesson. The technology teacher would take, and we had, she was like a technology support person. So she mm -hmm. would take um, a one grade level, a, a one classroom a week as well and mm -hmm. do um, whatever, you know, so it was like, she took all the section twos. We had a, um, who else was on this? The librarian would take all the section threes. The, we had, I'm trying to remember who all we used because I think that's important, you know? Yeah, <laughs> it is. Because that's hard. To, how many sections do you have in each grade level or how many classes? Um, three to four. Totally doable, it, depending, I don't know how many support staff members you have, but those that I mentioned tend to be pretty consistent in many schools. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, she also, you, my principal would hire a, um, like a substitute teacher for the another section, because we have like six sections, you know, five to six in each grade. Yes. And so there was a sub that would take 
one group and then I cannot remember where the other group of kids went. And I know I have documents on my computer that I could find old stuff, but yeah. um, that might work because we have, um, we have five specials teachers okay. and then school counselor. And then I only work with grades three through six. Okay, have, so then you um, only need coverage for those grades. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that, that, that might work. We might have to talk about a schedule or something. Mm -hmm. It takes like a while to get used to, but once you have a routine, it's, it's very easy. It just takes some getting like figuring out, okay, well, who's going to pick up kids or drop off kids or how are kids getting from PE to wherever? And, and yes. challenge, like the schedule itself takes a little like finessing, but you, it, it can usually be done somehow. Another thing that we did one year <clears throat> is we put, it was a little more complicated. And the reason we did it was because it gave us an extra 30 minutes. So we put our PLC time towards the end of the day. So on Tuesdays was our PLC day. Every grade level had their PE and PLC time moved to the end of the day. And then that way I had them an extra 30 minutes after school because by contract, they were going to be there anyway. So okay. yes. model at the beginning of PLC, and then we had the 90 minutes to plan after that. And that worked out, but it was, it was a challenge for different reasons than the other. Yes. I, like I think that they would love coming away with a plan, like not just me explaining information to them and having just conversation, but actually walking away with a plan. That's how we felt. And it took time to get there. And I've talked about that lots of times. There, there's a PLC episode on this very podcast in the first season. It's like episode seven or something. And it was, so figuring out how to facilitate a planning PLC was a big challenge for me because mm -hmm. I spoke a different language than my teachers. Mm -hmm. we were, you know, I had done, I was from a different school. We had very different practices and um, I had implemented a lot of, you know, balanced literacy. There are some elements that are maybe not that don't always work for many kids. And so I had implemented other research-based practices to meet the needs of my kids. And, and to me, that was all balanced literacy. It was just, yeah. it was. And then yes. I went to another school and they were very much like you're talking about basal tide. They were tied to the basal. Mm -hmm. They were doing one thing, one text a week, um, just moving through it regardless of student needs. They weren't really assessing. They didn't really know where their kids were. And there were some great teachers, but they didn't have the background that they wanted, you know? So yeah. we were speaking in very different languages and it was a hard, it was hard for us to plan in 90 minutes, even though that might seem like a lot of time. It was not no, I, I can see that that would not feel like enough. Yeah. I mean, just going through an assessment right. <laughs> can take that long and, yeah. and discussing it. Yeah, totally. And, and that's, those were all things that we had to do during that time. We had to look at the assessment. We had to do, you know, we had a backward plan from that. We had to look at our scope and sequence document and look at our calendar and plug things in and then look at our resources. So what we started to do, and this is all over time. This was not the first year. The first year was just awful. And I dreaded it. <laughs> and it got way better throughout that year, but figuring it out was like a constant bear. Like I was always fighting this bear. Um, but we started to do things like teachers would, um, be responsible for bringing in different materials. So, okay, I'll bring your materials for the read aloud. I'll look at my document and figure out what we're talking about, what we're teaching this week. And I'll bring in materials and you bring materials for this. And then everybody would show up with different things. At first I provided everything. And yes, I I've, I've made that mistake. <laughs> you know, I don't know how much of it is a mistake, but it is a habit they have to break. If that makes sense. It was necessary because if not, people sat and stared at each other. Yes, that's what I've, yeah. 
what I found. It's kind of like a balance to where you say, okay, now like it's gradual release. I feel like, you know, you start saying, okay, now you're going to start bringing in some things. So what, you know, what do you have that we can use for this? Look at the topic of of the, the standards we're teaching. What are they mostly about? Pull in resources for that. And you start to kind of delegate that responsibility. And then over time, you can step back and be more of a facilitator and less of a leader in that session. Yes. And I, it takes a while. Yeah. In some grade levels, I can see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Say that again. In some grade levels, it takes longer than others. It, it does. Yeah. Yeah. There's some grade levels that are just like, we're going to do this overnight and it's almost too fast. Like they're stressing themselves out. Yeah. And other ones that I'm like, well, I think we might have implemented one little thing. <laughs> yeah. And that's just the reality. Grade levels yeah. have different cultures. Mm-hmm. they're not all the same as the culture of the school so it's that's tricky yes but, i mean just keep at it as far as that goes just keep coming back and 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 referring back to the previous stuff so one strategy that might be helpful if you implement plcs that are regular and um you're and you're looking at your pd like you have tier one is for everybody this is what everybody gets and then tier two is we'll do plcs you can actually have people at the beginning of plc bring in a sample of something that they did as a result of that professional development you gave. Oh, and I love it. that. It's really fun because they get to share and it's not supposed to be a gotcha. And some people will look at it as a gotcha, which is usually the people who didn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> but yep. that's not the point. The point <laughs> is that we can learn from each other. So you bring something in, you sit down and you say, this is what I did. You can share in partners, you can share to the whole group. That's a fun way to make PLCs. And you can call it a PLC and make it engaging, or you can call it Team time or whatever you want. Team Tuesday. Yeah. What you call it. I did a big bulletin board in my room that was growth mindset for teachers, basically. Mm-hmm. And I've done pictures and things of teachers trying different things. But I like the idea of even posting something that they've done, an idea yeah. or something like that onto, onto the you board. You don't have enough time for each teacher to share. You can rotate. This is your week to bring something. This is your week to bring something. And then they could stick it up on the wall and other grade levels could see it. Yeah. Um, I like that. I hope that one works out. That would that was a really we didn't do that all the time, but whenever we implemented something new, it was a good way to get yeah. for people just to share. Yeah, and I would see that that would get other people to say, "Oh, maybe I should try that." Yeah, you did it. It worked <laughs> for you. <laughs> then people learn about each other and say, "Oh, wow, I didn't like." We had this one teacher who was incredibly artistic, and she would bring these beautiful things, you know. But everybody has a different skill set. Not yeah. everybody's look like that. And that was okay. So they yeah. learn what people's strengths are and they learn who to go to, to ask certain things. Um, like that person was amazing at creating really cool projects. So then they would say, you know, Amanda, what, what project could we do? Like, you have really good ideas about this. What's your idea for this? So that was, it was nice for people to, to showcase a little bit about what made them a really special teacher. Mm-hmm. I like that. I think that we really need to, uh, I need to do better about the, the PLC and maybe I'll start calling it a PLC. <laughs> totally up to <laughs> you if you want to try to get rid of that negative connotation. <laughs> right. Associated with it. So maybe you can come up with a different acronym for P- for what it stands for. Like instead yes. of professional <laughs> learning community, it's like, like party something or I don't know. The hangout or something. No, that's too. <laughs> Um, so that's, that's something that might help. I hope that one works out. And <clears throat> I think that we've talked about a few different things about what PD can look like, how you can get some ideas for your whole group. 
how you can differentiate for your PLCs. Is there anything else that you want to ask about before we go? Let me look, because I have a whole list, but I know I don't have them for the whole day, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> so, well, there's a couple of things, but um, I guess helping teachers with planning for guided reading. Um, one of the big things that that I have worked on this year is get trying to get away from the round robin reading a little bit. It's more of like having the kids you know, read for themselves. We're seeing lots of improvement as far as their reading skills, the de the decoding and the okay. that fluency and accuracy and things like that. The comprehension skills, not as much. Okay. Um, so now that's the next step. So um, I guess because teachers want to do guided reading groups so differently, I have a hard time helping them come up with like a plan. You know, I've come up with some uh, a, like a uniform checklist of, of items to make sure that you have in your guided reading. But yeah, that's been a little bit of a challenge this year. Like how many reading or small groups can you do a day? Like, um, hey, my I went over on time, so I'm just not going to do small groups for the next couple of days, right. which is, you know, not OK. Yeah. <laughs> so those kinds of things are a little bit, but maybe that's just another one of those culture changes that's going to take some time. That's part of it for sure. Um, mm -hmm. Part of it is them thinking it's important. And a conversation I've had frequently is, what are the most important elements of your day? If they're the most important, we need to get to them no matter what. So what can we do? So like as a teacher, it was very easy for me to run over on whole group instruction because I do know that like lots of students really benefit from that and from yes. they <clears throat> many lessons were always a challenge for me. I could never do a 15 minute lesson. And now I feel a little more vindicated because the science of reading research has come out and said, no, no, that's probably not enough anyway. So that makes me feel better. But anyway, I needed to set a timer for myself. And I would say, if I am not done with my, if I have not wrapped up and closed my whole group lesson by this time, I will not have time for my groups. So my lesson, I would look at the clock and go, it's gotta be done by 9.20. And that was like my cutoff. <clears throat> so I'd start wrapping up. We, you know, move on at that time. And that was something that helped me. It doesn't help any, everybody, but that was mm -hmm. helpful to me to know if I don't make it by this point, I will not get to my small groups today. And I know I have yes. to get to my small groups today. I have to stop at this time. Yes. yes. I've recommended like putting a timer on, like no matter what, when I get to this time, I'm doing small groups. Right. Um, so again, yeah. That is a cultural, like it's a, it's a culture thing because if they don't believe that intervention is important, they are so, not gonna yeah. stop. If they mm -hmm. believe that their whole group is more important than the intervention. Yeah. So would it be beneficial for me to, so one of the things that I've had a little bit of a struggle on with that is, so I've asked them to stop doing round robin reading in small groups, and I want them to have small groups. And I feel like for some of them, like, that was just too much of a change. So for, for, there's a couple that I've just said, you know what, if you want to round robin read, go for it, but have your small groups. Don't just not have small groups because you, you know, don't understand the process of having kids read for themselves and then asking questions and, and, and those kinds of things. And I don't know if that was the right response. That was the survival know? response. And I it, sometimes that's where we are and that's where the teachers are, right? Mm -hmm. I get that. So what we need now is to replace the teaching, the, the, this practice that they have with a better practice. So they don't yeah. know what the better practice is, right? 
And that's yeah. really common when you've done round robin and they say, but the kids like it. And they say, oh, they have all these reasons that it's better. And it's, it's just not better. <laughs> I mean, we know it's not better. So yeah. one thing that I did that was helpful for that, that you could try is I had like, a, I did it by grade level. And I had, I asked each uh, one teacher in each grade level, give me a guided reading group of yours. I want to see the kids most recent assessment data. And then I need, um, and the, like their reading level that you're working on and what are some of the things that, you know, you're working on. So I pulled their assessment data and I had my own guided blank lesson plan and everybody had a blank lesson plan. I pulled that. So I took the teachers first and I had the kids data and a blank plan and mm -hmm. I took the book and then I modeled the process of planning the lesson out loud. I, I modeled the whole thing. And I pretty, I really didn't do, this was more of an I do. I didn't do a lot of interaction here with the teachers. I just was like, look, you're mm -hmm. asking me, this is how I do it. So mm -hmm. I planned it all out and we, they each had their own plan where they wrote everything down to, they had the text, mm -hmm. everybody had a copy of the book and that way they could refer to it. And I could say right here, I'm going to check for this. This is how I'm going to listen into kids. I'm going to make sure I check on the student because they haven't had a running record in so long. And I need to check their, what their decoding skills are that they're applying and that kind of thing. So then from there, I called the group of students in from PE because they were PE during that PLC time. I called the kids okay. in from PLC and I, uh, from PE and I modeled the lesson. I did the whole guided reading lesson in front of the teachers. So the teachers sat at the big tables and I had the kids come to my guided reading table and I did it there. And I actually went through the lesson exactly as I had written it. And then I modeled how do we, so kids all get started reading. And whenever I want to listen in on one, I tapped right in front of him and I, mm -hmm. they turn up the volume a little bit is what I tell them. So they, and it took them like this to learn the convention. They it's are so fast. It's yes, so fast. Yes. <laughs> so I, they turned up the volume. I listened in, I made my, my anecdotal notes on an index card for that student. I asked a question or two, depending on what I saw the need was. And then I moved on. I checked in on another student. So I checked in on each of the kids during that time. I made my notes. We closed the lesson and then they went to PE. They went back and then I had about 15 minutes to debrief with the teachers. We talked about what they saw, what they noticed, what questions they had. They'd say things like, what are you writing down in your note cards? How did you know what to ask? A lot of it is, how did you know? How did you know to do that? Yes, and, that, that's the question that I get and some, that's a hard question to answer because sometimes I just knew what to ask. I know it's experience in looking for certain things. You've trained mm -hmm. your brain to look for them. You've noticed over time, those things are important. If the child can't do this, they can't do that. Right. So you've, you've trained your brain and, and they're trying to say, well, how do I train my brain to do that? I, my brain doesn't notice that right now. Mm -hmm. If they're very basal driven, <clears throat> the basal tells them what to look for, mm -hmm. but that's not always what readers need. Yes. And yes. so definitely like talk, slowing down, just like you would for, if you were modeling writing for your kids, you slow your brain down, you do a think aloud. That's what mm -hmm. teachers want to know. And mm -hmm. you can even do that during the lesson. You can, you can do, okay, kids, I'm going to do a teacher talk right now. Ignore me. And you can say, okay, I'm noticing this. This is what I'm going to do. Oh, okay. They I like that. That, that book. Um, and I talk about it all the time because I really like it. It's called, oh, shoot. Student-Centered Coaching, The Moves by Diane Sweeney. And she has a chapter about um, a strategy. So like it's called, is it co-teaching think aloud? Or I can't remember what she calls it, but basically it's that. It's you model your thought process in the moment. I really like it because that's the piece that's missing for so many teachers. They're like, how did that happen in your brain? It's not happening in my brain. I didn't know to ask that question. I like that. And I can't remember where I read this, but I had, I have talked to teachers about, um, as they're doing their own reading, 
stopping yeah. and thinking about how they are processing the reading. And, and I don't remember where I read that at. It was it could have been recent. any independent, like it could have been like a, um, <laughs> Donald Miller or whatever, something like that. Yeah. Yes. Or, or, and Mosaic of Thought is really good about that. Mosaic of yeah. Thought is, a, I love that book changed the way I thought about comprehension. It, um, it's by Zimmerman and Keen, I think. It and sounds it, really familiar. It's, yeah, it's an oldie but a goodie. It's what I okay. like about it is it takes each strategy as a chapter and it shows you how this, uh, this able reader as an adult uses that strategy in their own thinking. It slows it down for you. And then it goes into how they use it with kids. That's where, oh, I know it was, um, oh gosh, I'm not going to remember the name of the book. It was about read alouds. It was a book okay. about read alouds. And that's how to model your thinking that you see. Yes. yes. Yeah. But to model your thinking for the kids, but also like when you're oh, preparing to yeah. stop and figure out what, because we're, 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 we've done it so much. We don't realize what we're right. doing. We're natural. Yeah. <laughs> yes. By now, hopefully. Yeah. yeah. Some teachers will tell you, I don't. They say they don't right um, yeah they don't really read much and they don't there are much. yes i'd have that also yeah the non-readers yeah and yeah. you're like okay well then just use it in a children's book read as a mm -hmm. children's book like what are you noticing you know the other book that might be good for that is that notice and note there's a few of them about i think one's about like fiction and one's about nonfiction, but it's about the signposts readers use as they read okay they come across in text that make us go oh and then something happens in our brain and it's like the language that so if we say Everything was just fine for now. As an able reader, we go, oh, something's going to change. It's not always going to be just fine. It's fine for now, but something's going to change. Mm -hmm. our, our readers who are not as, as skilled don't notice that stuff. That's true. So working on, hey, the, yeah, they didn't notice this or stop yeah. and ask, hey, what did this sentence mean? Right. Now yeah. I'm, I'm noticing this. And, and like you mentioned, as a model, um, as an adult, I would do that in my own reading and I can model that for kids. I'm noticing it says for now. And you know what? I know what that means. That author is giving me a clue that something is going to change. It's fine for now, but it will not be fine later. That's what that means when you come across them. And so just kind of, you know, pointing out those signposts could be helpful. And teachers who don't notice them, maybe that book might be a helpful resource to help them. Yes. I think that would be a great resource. I'm writing all of these down so I, I can so many read my library. <laughs> I have lots of summer reading to do. <laughs> I know. This is the time of year you start making your pile. It <laughs> is because now we're getting into testing season and um, I'm, I feel like I'm going to be doing less, less coaching and more testing students. So, but now I have time, you know, when I'm active, actively monitoring. Yeah. <laughs> I used to plan out my room. I'd walk around the testing and I'd be like, next year I'm going to move that there. Yes. When I go on my lunch break and make my little map. Yes. <laughs> well, I hope that you got some things out today out of this conversation that you'll be able to implement um, some stuff you can try. I sure did. I really appreciate this. I've got sure. five big post-it notes here. Oh, good. <laughs> All right. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining me. And I hope that everything works out, that this gear keeps being, I mean, it sounds like you have a really positive attitude about everything that's that's going on at your school. It really does. So that's I do. I do. I, I love it. All right. <laughs> well then have a great day. Thank you. Well, coaches, I have to say that it was actually really nice to talk to a coach whose issue was that she was wanted too much by her teachers. <laughs> that is a great problem to have. I have several other episodes that can help you learn a little bit more about the things that we talked about today. 
One of them is episode seven, where I talk about planning purposeful PDs or PLCs. It's about seven steps to purposeful PLCs. So that should be really helpful if you're trying to figure out how to get those rolling yourself. Episode eight was done with my wonderful principal, Lynn Mussel, and we talked about creating structures to support school change. Episode 13 is about how and why to develop a common language with teachers. And in episode 39, I give you some strategies, three different ways for conducting a needs assessment, which is a little bit about what we talked about today for planning around teacher needs. I also have episode 108, where I share with you exactly what is inside the course, The Confident Literacy Coach. It includes all the things that we talked about today, because those are the strategies that I use to support teachers in different literacy areas. So if you're a literacy coach with similar needs, you can check check out episode 108, or you can get The Confident Literacy Coach course at confidentliteracycoach.com. I also have a free download for you. This is about planning professional development, and it's at buzzingwithmissb.com slash episode 113. You can grab that download and get the tools that you need for planning a really great PD for your teachers. Next week, we are going back to school. We are going to talk with Becca Silver of The Whole Educator about transformational coaching. The whole month of August is going to be things that I think will be helpful with for you about back to school. So until then, happy coaching. Thank you for listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast. Want more coaching ideas? Check me out at buzzingwithmissb.com and on Instagram at buzzingwithmissb. If you love the show, share it with a coach who would love it too, or leave me a review on iTunes. It's free and it helps others find this show. Happy coaching. Happy coaching.